Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As, as we focused on, on Christmas Eve, some of you were here, some of you were uh, traveling other places, but on, on Christmas Eve, I preached a message called Unwrapped. And, and I reminded you that it's important to unwrap the fullness of Jesus Christ in order that he can be present with you all the time. Not just to unwrap him as a present and toss him aside in the corner with your other unused Christmas gifts collecting dust, but in order to instead have Jesus Christ be present fully with you all the time because when he is, he will shower you with his good gifts. Well, this week and next Sunday as well, uh, we're going to continue to unwrap the Christmas story, in particular by focusing on two events at the uh, early stages of Jesus' life, as recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. Today, we are focusing on the visit of the Magi, or as is more uh, popularly uh, described of them being wise men. And, and we'll focus on how they came to worship Jesus, the Christ, the newborn king. And then next Sunday, the story continues on uh, under the theme, a threatened king. As Herod, who we'll learn about today, is threatened that a new king is on the scene. And he's worried about a potential uprising. What we learn in these stories is that early on, at the very beginning of Jesus' life, it is already known that he is king. He is king. He is king, and people come to worship him as king. Glory to the newborn king, we sing on Christmas. Well, today I want to tell you the story of the visit of the wise men. And, and in order to do so and to get a good understanding of it, we're going to stay pretty close to the text today. You may even want to ha have it out as a reference. But I want to introduce this story to you by uh, getting you familiarized with three sets of characters. The three sets of characters are Herod, the Magi, and the chief priests and scribes. So first of all, let's, let's meet this Herod guy. Herod uh, is given the name... Herod the Great in the history books, and he received that name from an early church historian by the name Josephus. Josephus called him Herod the Great, uh, not because he was a, a, a real great guy, uh, but because he was quite powerful. Mostly he got this name Herod the Great uh, because of his great building program all throughout the land. He built uh, incredible uh, buildings and fortresses, uh, a harbor in Caesarea. He rebuilt and expanded the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Uh, this Herod, Herod the Great, he was not the rightful heir to the throne of the Jews. Uh, he was actually seen kind of as a half-Jew. Uh, the Herodian family had usurped uh, the family of David, actually, uh, who were the rightful heirs to the throne of Israel. But Herod, this Herod, uh, he was very loyal to Rome, and the Roman Empire was vast at this time. The Roman Empire was actually in charge of the land of Israel. And this Herod uh, was rightfully crowned as king by the Roman emperor in the year 39 B.C., 
And so he ruled as king of the Jews. That was his title. And he was king over the land of Judea. But Herod, he was a pretty brutal guy. And history records that he was a very paranoid man. Uh, Maybe even rightly so, because he oftentimes felt threats coming to him to overthrow him. Uh, He was so paranoid, as a matter of fact, that he had his favorite wife executed. He had 10 wives. Well, actually, now he had nine of them because he executed one of them. And, And he actually executed two of the sons that he had by his favorite wife. Herod was so paranoid that he actually built a number of fortresses throughout the land. And when he felt uh, threats to his life, he would go and flee to these different fortresses. He was uh, actually such a paranoid and tyrannical ruler that at the end of his life, he became very, very ill. And at the end of his life, he had two wishes on his deathbed. One was that uh, newly imprisoned Jewish leaders would all be executed so that the Jewish people would be in mourning when he died. He tried to set it all up so they would actually be sad when he died. And the second thing that he said was that he wanted uh, another son named Antipater also executed. So he just ordered a bunch of executions on his deathbed. So what we learn about this Herod from, uh, from the Bible, and we'll learn more about him next week as well, but also from history, was that he was a powerful, talented king, but he was also paranoid and tyrannical. But what Matthew makes clear, and he says it twice at the beginning of this reading that we read today, uh, Matthew indicates that Herod was the king of the Jews, He says it, Matthew does, uh, twice at the beginning of Matthew 2, that Herod was the king of the Jews. So what Matthew is setting up is the point that even even though Herod was not the rightful heir to the throne, he is sitting on the throne as king of the Jews. And so when a new king arises as king of the Jews, this is a big deal. So Matthew's setting the plot for us. Our second set of characters I want to introduce you to are these men from the East, They're called magi, or more popularly known as wise men. And they came from the east asking in the city of Jerusalem, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Who is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Again, we oftentimes call these guys wise men, and they, you know, it's, it's quite an accurate term, I suppose. Uh, they were wise, especially in the study of the stars and maybe in some other uh, subject areas as well. But just a, a, a word of, uh, uh, of, of history here, sometimes they're referred to as the how many wise men? The three wise men. Um, you don't really need to refer to them as the three wise men from now on. Uh, it doesn't indicate anywhere that there were three wise men, all right? People just say there must have been three or it's an accurate, we go to say three wise men because how many gifts did they bring? Three, right? So we don't actually know how many uh, wise men there were, but likely, likely these guys came from the region of Babylon, which is east of Israel, which Uh, kind of encompasses like modern-day Iraq even, uh, because people from the east in in Babylon were known uh, from the ancient times to have studied the stars and to know a lot about the stars. 
Uh, But even a cooler scriptural connection is this. Going back 600 years in Babylon from this point to the time of Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? The story of Daniel takes place when God's people were exiled in Babylon. And when Daniel was after the whole lion's den thing, remember Daniel, uh, it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, that Daniel became prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. All right? So Daniel, 600 years earlier, was in charge of all the wise men of Babylon. And we know that Daniel made known to all of Babylon that there would be a king, a Messiah, who would come and rule and reign, not just for the Jews, but for all people. And so it was clear even during that Babylonian exile that this king would come, who would be king of the Jews, but also king of the Gentiles. There are actually other archaeological findings from Babylon, uh, inscriptions that talk about the study of the stars uh, from this time period. And, And in these studies of the stars, there are written records that say this, a great king will arise in the west, then justice and righteousness, peace and joy will rule in all the lands and bless all the nations. So these wise men, you know, very likely had heard down through the ages that there would be a star that would appear and that star would indicate that the king had been born king of the Jews who would bring peace and justice to all the land. Isn't that very interesting? So they saw the new star and they believed that it was true, the hope of the world had been born. These wise men, uh, they would have been pursuing the star likely for months through the desert region. It would have taken a long time for them to get there. And so Jerusalem was the likely place for them to go because that's where the king of the Jews was. They didn't know where else to go, so they go to Jerusalem and they just start asking around in the city streets, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? And you can only imagine the the rumors getting spread all throughout the city, those who were loyal to Herod, those who weren't, right? The the one who's been born king of the Jews, who is this? And, And not only that, but they say that they came to do what? To worship him. They're telling people in the streets, we came to worship the new king. Now, did they believe that there was something divine about this king, something godly? We don't really know. But the point is, they did not come bringing gifts for Herod. They came bringing gifts for a new king, a new king of the Jews. So Herod, he wants to talk to these wise men, but first he's got to check with his own advisors. So that brings us to our third set of characters, the chief priests and the scribes. Uh, Later on in the New Testament, these guys are called the Sanhedrin, Uh, They are the ones who are uh, kind of the religious leaders, experts in the law and the Old Testament scriptures uh, that that made a lot of decisions regarding Jewish law in in the region. And so Herod says to the Sanhedrin, "Where, where does it say that the Christ is to be born? Now, did Herod actually believe uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ or that there would actually be a Christ? It's, it's hard to know. But he's actually, he's taking it serious enough that he wants to find out and do something about it. 
And so he says, where is it that the Christ is supposed to be born? And so these guys who are experts in the scriptures, they take him back to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is what's quoted for you uh, today in the book of Matthew. All right. So this is Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they tell him that Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. And it kind of rings a bell for Herod because Bethlehem, remember, do you know who else was born in Bethlehem? David, King David, a long time ago, he was born. So Bethlehem is the city of David where the Christ was also to be born. All right, so Herod, as the plot unfolds, he's got the location, Bethlehem. But now he needs to know when it happened. When was the Christ born? And in order to find that out, he secretly summons these wise men. So I don't think ever any, just anybody you know, gets audience with the king, but these wise men, they do. And so, so he says to them, when did you see this star appear in the sky? When was it? And, and, and after they tell him, he, Herod sneakily says to them, okay, I want you to go to Bethlehem, and when you find this new king, let me know. Come back and tell me where he is, because I, too, want to worship him. But if you know this story at all, you know that that's code for execute him, right? He doesn't want to worship him. He wants to execute him. So, so Herod sends the wise men on the way. They go to Bethlehem, and the star reappears for them. The star reappears, and we get the sense, as Matthew tells the story, that it hovers over this specific house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus are. Some time has passed since Jesus was born, and so they're no longer in that manger, uh, you know, with the animals. Joseph has secured housing for them. And, and so in this, in this house is where the wise men find Jesus. But Bethlehem is so different than Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the bustling city. Bethlehem is a poor city. It's only about five miles from Jerusalem. It's not far away. But what the wise men find here, living in a house and in surroundings of the poorest kind, and lying in the arms of a woman who was in the state of the lowest class of people, they find the new king. And these wise men who have been traveling from afar, they fall down. The Greek word means to fall down on your knees and they worship the king. They worship him, it says. Specifically, you can, you can read it. It says, who did they worship? They worshiped him. They're not worshiping generically. They're not worshiping the whole family. They're worshiping him, Jesus. And they bring him gifts that are fit for a king. And the gifts that they bring, they're certainly royal gifts. And throughout time, different interpreters and different pastors, and maybe you've heard different stories about what these gifts mean and what they represent. But from the earliest days of Christianity, the ancients probably have the best understanding and interpretation of what these gifts mean. And so we believe, as the ancients always have, that the gold was given to him because he was king. The frankincense was brought for him in worship of him as God. And the myrrh 
was brought to him as a man in preparation for his eventual death. This is the oldest and the most widely accepted interpretation of what these gifts mean. He's king, he's God, and he's man who would die. This story that I just told you, the story of the wise men, is most often read in the, in the church calendar uh, on the day of Epiphany, which is uh, just a couple days from now, about a week from now. But we read it today. And, and, and Epiphany means like uh, revelation or, or opened up eyes, right? And the story of the wise men is read uh, on this day of, of Epiphany to remember that Jesus the Christ was born into this world not for a select few, but for all people. These wise men are not Jewish people, and they came to worship this king because it was known from of old that Jesus would be the king who would bring peace and justice and would rule all things and all people. The hope of the world was born in Jesus Christ as king, and the world knew it at the very beginning. The wise men knew it. Herod, he reluctantly knew it. I think the chief priests and the scribes even knew that Jesus was king. Do you? Do you? Do you believe it? Do you believe and live as though Jesus is king? Jesus was born into the world to be your king. So do you see this as a good thing for you? Do you, do you gladly have him serve you as king? Do you desire him to be in charge of your life? Or would you rather take things into your own hands and pretend like you have things under control on your own? Well, think of it like this. Just as if, if you actually lived in a place that had a king, you wouldn't get to choose who your king is. A kingdom is not a democracy. You don't get to choose your king. So, the reality is, you don't get to choose whether or not Jesus is king. He is. I tell you today, Jesus is king. He's alive. He's ruling. He's reigning over the entire universe. Your only choice in the matter is whether you're going to acknowledge this fact and allow him to shower you with his good gifts and his gracious love or whether you're, you're going to pretend to have things in your own hands and take matters into your own control and always come up short. That's the only choice you have. And so I just want to encourage you, like I did on Christmas Eve, to unwrap the reality of Jesus Christ. He is the newborn king. Open him up. Let him be alive in your life. Let him rule and reign over the whole universe, including your lives, in order that he can shower you with peace and justice and hope and peace and joy and love and on and on. Jesus is coming again as king to rule and reign and make all things new. The Magi knew he was king. Herod knew he was king. The chief priest knew he was king. The question is, do you? In his name, amen, amen.